about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Daredevil, first seen in April 2015, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched Happy-ish, Your Family or Mine, or Cedric's Barber Battle instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of Daredevil shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give his thoughts on Daredevil is writer Gary Bainbridge. Gary, where can people find you? I'm at home. Everyone's at home at the moment, Tim. <laughs> but if you want to find me on the internet, I'm at, at Gary underscore Bainbridge on Twitter. And you can find me at GaryBainbridge.com. And I don't know, there must be other places. I'm probably on Facebook. Who knows? OK, so before we go any further, Gary, what happens in Daredevil? Daredevil is the story of Matt Murdock, a blind lawyer who is the scourge of the underworld in Hell's Kitchen in New York. I don't know if you've ever been to Hell's Kitchen. I haven't been to Hell's Kitchen, but Hell's Kitchen is good gorgeous these days yes it really is but they've got a pretty good reason for why hell's kitchen is actually a bit of a dump in the daredevil series which i'm sure we'll talk about at some point okay well gary how much did you know about daredevil before you saw the show only a fair bit about daredevil and of course i've seen daredevil in his previous tv incarnation and his previous movie incarnation so i know a fair bit about daredevil i love daredevil i did not really get into daredevil during the frank miller period which this series draws a lot on. I like the old sort of Gene Colan period where he was teaming up with like Black Widow and I think he, he shared a title with Black Widow for a while. And I remember all, all of that stuff from sort of the early mid-70s, so pre-Frank Miller. So yeah, I know a fair bit about the guy. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the Daredevil and Black Widow team up because I didn't know this until recently. Did you know Angie Bowie optioned both those characters in the early 70s? And nobody's really sure how far her plans for TV series got. There was Certainly, photographs of her and her co-star have forgotten the name of in character. But that obviously never happened. And obviously, there have been other attempts which we may come back to to bring Daredevil to the small screen. But I was well aware of him as a character. But I didn't quite... I liked him, but I found him a bit unsettling as a kid. I remember being really bothered by... Because I think Daredevil was a backup strip for a while in the UK edition to Spider-Man. And there was mm. one story that really, really haunted me. Where, basically, in the course of... My Murdoch trying to, I can't even remember what he's trying to break up, it may have been the one where he teamed up with Cloak and Dagger and the Punisher to take down a drug gang, but Daredevil, in the midst of some of his actions, separated a blind boy from his guide dog 
and went to try and find it and couldn't find it. And that was it. The story just ended like that. So that was the tone of Daredevil. It was the... It wasn't really the dark world of Marvel, but it was the depressing world of Marvel where it was like The Wire or something. You know, some you win, some you lose. And there was never really a fully happy ending. There was always some element to it that made it bittersweet at best. And maybe that's why they had so much difficulty translating Daredevil into other media, because I'm sure you're referring to before his appearance in The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which isn't the finest representation of a Marvel character on screen. There was occasionally show up in things like the Fantastic Four cartoon, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, in a very different, not quite painting on the smile, kind of role but a bit more upbeat a bit more of a hero and there was the let's just get this out of the way the Ben Affleck film which even got a sequel spin-off with Electra who we'll be talking a lot about in Stan Lee hated that film nearly as much as I hated it and it's worth mentioning at this point it has an average of 23% approval on film rating sites that's going to be countered by something later I think that's a bit high to be honest but apparently that was one of the main motivations between starting the whole Marvel Studios thing was how much they hated Daredevil I believe Stan Lee said that they made him too tragic which when you talk about daredevil that's quite a feat really yeah but this was i mean the, obviously there'd been agents of shield before this but this was a real attempt to do something new on netflix and i think they really really hit the ground running with it the first thing we should talk about is charlie cox playing daredevil i have forgotten until i looked into it he's actually english he was in the bbc3 casanova he was in that dreadful bbc4 remake of a for andromeda mm. i had no idea because I'm so used to him playing this really run-down, down-the-heel American. Of course. He was in um, Stardust, wasn't he, as well? Uh, which I didn't know. I, I only saw Stardust for the first time fairly recently. And, I, you know, watching it, I thought, that's Daredevil. What's Daredevil to do? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not American. I think he nails the accent pretty well. And the other thing is that the mainstay sort of regular characters they bring in with him are vastly improved on their comic incarnations because obviously there's Foggy Nelson who's kind of his legal partner who really, I believe there was a phase earlier on where Foggy was a bit more of a rounded character but he's really just comic relief in Daredevil that we're mostly familiar with but here they've made him sort of more of a he's an absurdist character rather than the, the target of the joke he's funny without being a figure of fun and Karen Page who's their close friend who is really kind of recast as a journalist in this which she wasn't always in the comics but she's made into somebody who she's more attuned to the darker side of life even more than Matt Murdock is and she's the only character in it who when we come to series two we'll talk about this more but who really understands the Punisher and sees him as a person rather than a crazed vigilante and I think all three them were perfectly pictured as characters and perfectly cast as well and that's really what apart from the main villain series one that's what really really cements that first series for me you absolutely get a sense of that friendship between the three of them as well but actually particularly between matt and foggy because think you got on the internet oh you've heard of the internet haven't you tip you got <laughs> the internet people really don't like eldon henson as foggy and I can't, I genuinely can't see it because I totally get why they love him because, you know, he's, he's just this decent, loyal guy with a proper sense of humour. Is that because he was a child star from playing annoying characters and things like the Mighty Ducks, which, I you know, know, we don't really have that background with him, so that could be a factor, I think. I don't know. I just I just get a sense that he's basically what we would be like if, if Matt Murdock was our friend. You'd hope that you'd be like Foggy. 
You'd hope that you'd be loyal and you'd patch him up and you'd do all of this. You'd be brave in certain circumstances without actually being a superhero. I think Foggy's great. Foggy's a really good audience point of view character. And the other major thing is the costume for pretty much all the series one. And as soon as they can get rid of it thereafter, they don't use the classic Daredevil costume. You know, the one with the horns, which thankfully they took the DD off, which has always been an issue for me. But they've used, I can't remember which comic series it was, but the very basic costume with literally just a handmade headscarf as a mask. Yeah. And, you know, completely dressed in black. And that, to me, that really, really is the final piece in the jigsaw for how brilliantly dark this first series. Well, I mean, all of them are pretty dark, but what cements it from the outset is that costume. Because he's so much more believable as this guy who's just decided to take the law into his own hands if he's wearing a homemade costume. I don't think I agree with you there. You see, I'm always a bit disappointed when you get a superhero adaptation, which is embarrassed by the costume. And, you know, Daredevil's definitely on these shows because they are much happier when he's wearing the black suit and the black mask. But actually, I have no idea how we can see through that thing. You know, Charlie Cox, I know that Daredevil can't see through that thing because you know, Daredevil <laughs> can't. You know, how the criminals of Hell's Kitchen not worked out that he's blind? Because nobody's looking through that thing. Do you know, that's a very good point I've not even thought of. But speaking of the criminals of Hell's Kitchen, Series 1, it's set kind of in literally in the shadow of what happened in Avengers Assemble, which yeah. is that after the devastation caused by them driving Loki and the Chitauri away, a lot of gangs have risen up in places like Hell's Kitchen and seized control of a lot of things. It, basically, it starts kind of a gang war between, I think it's fair to say, the Russian Mafia and The Hand, who we'll be hearing more about. And then, Wilson Fisk, better known in the comics as Kingpin, enters the fray, and it suddenly takes a very different tone. I think it's really clever the way that they build him up, because he's he's a shadowy figure. The only time you hear from him in the first couple of episodes is is a telephone call to Wesley, his right-hand man, and we don't say his name. Nobody's allowed to say the name of Wilson Fisk, and it's only when Wilson Fisk's name is finally spoken by a criminal. That's the first time we see him. And then when we do see him, he's in an art gallery, quite sweetly trying to make a connect with Vanessa, the gallery owner you really don't know where to look you don't know how to read this guy it's absolutely brilliant because you obviously get a sense of the power i mean vincent donifrio is yeah obviously he's, he's immense in every possible way really isn't he it's just totally charming and you find yourself rooting for him you know in this romance with vanessa like even when he's interrupted by the russians in the restaurant and you're furious you know as much as he is i mean obviously not to the point of decapitating somebody with a car door but you know he's still quite angry it's such good casting he's he's the perfect kingpin he really is and it's interesting as well that i mean i know they developed kingpin over the years but to me he's always the figure he was in spider-man in the comics which is kind of more like a batman villain like a dc villain really the marvel villain a very one-dimensional literally big crime boss yeah there wasn't much super here it's a really interesting thing about now it's interesting that they started developing series one i think before trump had even thrown his way into the election process but it's basically the conceit is that he wants to control the underworld in hell's kitchen but in a way that makes everyone else safe and people fall for it and they want him to succeed and you can kind of you almost get sucked into it yourself because Vincent D'Onofrio his performance is so good it's that brilliant thing they keep doing in the Marvel films where you can 
almost see the villain's argument. You can almost see their point of view while not necessarily agreeing with it. I mean, as you say, he does do things like decapitate people with car doors, but it's a very interesting way to play that villain in particular, I think. And the real immoral figure, I think, in series one, again, they've done something different with him than they did in the comics, is Stick, Daredevil's old mentor, who reappears. And basically, one of the subplots is the Hand, who don't really feature as heavily in this series as they do in series two, and every bloody other Netflix series. Oh, God. They're trying to get hold of a weapon called the Black Sky, where we don't know anything about it at that point, but Sticks turned up to stop them. And basically, stopping the Black Sky involves executing a child. Yeah. And Stick has no qualms about that at all. He no. just absolutely does it without breaking his stride. And that's a very disturbing, even in the midst of everything else that's going on, that really quite a creepy image and a creepy storyline. Well, that's it. Stick is an odd character in here, because... You know, you've got that sense of him being almost very incredibly cynical. But at the same time, you know, he's got this backbone of a sort of morality. They have to take down the hand because the hand are absolutely evil. That's basically his moral core, is that whatever it takes to take down these absolute thugs, even to the extent of turning children into soldiers and killing children, you know, it's a very... I think what is beautiful about particularly the first series of Daredevil is this real sense of, of shades of grey. Because, you know, Matt Murdock is not all good and Wilson Fisk is not all evil. And you've got them at both ends. And every other character who's on that, every other character who appears is kind of on that scale. Has got the, the dark side and they've got the light side. Apart from, I would say, Ben Urich. Ben Urich is absolutely the shining paragon in that first series. Just a genuinely good man. Yeah, there are even... It's worth mentioning at this point, Claire Temple is introduced in Daredevil. Even she's on that scale. Mm. Because she's a recurring figure through pretty much all the other Netflix series, where if anyone's not seen it, she's effectively... She's an amalgam of several Marvel characters. I think they wanted to use the actual original Night Nurse, who was more of an associate with Doctor Strange, really, but obviously she was being held back for Doctor Strange as a different kind of character. So they made Claire, who they refer to as Night Nurse a couple of times, but that's more in publicity, who is basically a surgeon yeah. of the vigilantes. And there is an extent to which she is morally grey as well. Yeah. She seems to be excited by what Matt's up to sometimes and gets herself in danger. It is interesting how they don't have, apart from Ben, an entirely profoundly good character in it. It's wrong to say they're all up to something, but they've all got something going on inside them that conflicts with how they'd like the world to see them. I think that's true. Certainly the better Netflix series, that's how characters appear to be. I think the problem with, and I know you'll do Iron Fist with some other poor soul, (laughs) (laughs) the problem with Iron Fist, I find, is that the bad characters are bad and the good characters are good which means that everybody's bad. You have none of this sense of of shades of grey that you get in Jessica Jones, that you certainly get in Luke Cage. You don't get in Iron Fist. I think that's why Iron Fist particularly is by far the worst of Netflix series. (laughs) We could go on about Iron Fist all day, but let's focus on the positive reception to Daredevil Series 1 because this has an aggregate across review sites of 99%. And I think that's entirely deserved. And I think the big masterstroke they made with it was, I've read a couple of interviews with the showrunners who've said that they wanted to get really violent in it because they had license to do it because kids wouldn't be watching it. It was on a subscription service. Marvel have basically more or less said these characters were a bit wary of using them in the films. 
do them justice on TV. They made the decision very early on that there would be no sexual violence in it. It would just be fighting. And there were a couple of one-take, one-scene fights in this, which are absolutely expertly staged. Everything about them is just absolutely no perfect. And I think that's what really, really makes it so good, is there's nothing that really makes you think, ooh. I mean, there are bits that make you wince because (laughs) he deals, he dispatches with some henchmen in a very grisly manner, but there's nothing think that will put you off your tea or put you off the series full stop because Daredevil isn't about that and never was. Particularly the first season I would say that set piece single shot fight. The second episode isn't it it's one of the most exciting sequences I can remember in anything. I read about how they did it you know they did it without any sort of dodgy wipes you know the sort of things they did in uh, 1917 you know but it absolutely doesn't take anything away from it I love the way that he's he's like he's absolutely knackered at the end. Yes! <laughs> he like falls over one of the, the the Russians on the floor, you know, it was like a lovely bit of slapstick in the middle of all this. I just know that there must have been a note when they were doing the second season. They said, "Yeah, yeah, do that again." So they had that thing with the dogs of war on the stairs again. It's sort of diminishing returns, but the Punisher in the prison corridor, which again you see in, in Luke Cage, it's the corridor that Luke Cage walks down when he's in prison. The Punisher in, in that jail corridor is is just it's just a breathtaking sequence. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been too long since my last confession. I've been preoccupied of late with questions of morality. Of right and wrong. Good and evil. We don't say his name. Perhaps this would be easier if you tell me what you've done. I'm not seeking forgiveness for what I've done, Father. I'm asking forgiveness for what I'm about to do. It's interesting you mentioned The Punisher at this point because we're just about to move on to Series 2. Just before I do though, there's a couple of interesting points in this, almost as if they were attempting to tie it in with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but didn't get any further, which are, in a flashback, Matt's father, who was a boxer, is said to be fighting Carl Creel as in Crusher Creel, yeah. the Absorbing Man. I think he'd already shown up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. by that point. But also, Matt, when his father is killed, is sent to the same orphanage that Daisy Johnson from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. grew up in. And Ah. you do wonder if there was ever any plan for the two of them to connect in any way. They were clearly thinking, opening that up as a possibility. So that was something that very much fell by the wayside. But Series 1, they're originally planning to end with the Punisher being introduced in the post-credits, the sting like the films. But they realised, just as they were about to shoot it, hang on, you can't do that on Netflix because it skips the end credits. So instead, (laughs) he made his first appearance of Series 2. Now, I'm going to say, I've had so many issues with every way they tried to do The Punisher in the past. I can't wait to talk about The Punisher TV series to just lay into all of them. But Mm. when I heard The Punisher was going to be a Series 2 of Daredevil, I did think, oh, here we go. No, absolutely fantastic. 
and yeah. even compensates for the pretty rotten main villains in series two who are they're the hand no i've no idea what's going on with the hand i mean electra i like electra i think electra is actually a pretty good electra as far as it goes but i mean the whole story about the, the, the hand you know because obviously it goes into my interest it goes into the defenders does nothing for me oh what's what's your big plan well we want to build a massive hole for a dragon in the middle of new york i don't know tim but something about it doesn't quite ring true to me well they are boring villains i mean they're fine villains in a comic where you can stretch out a story for a long time and you know have a think about this organized crime gang headed by immortal ninjas that is a great thing comics wise but you put it on the screen they're just plotting stuff very very slowly and have heavily yeah. guarded places that matt takes forever to get into and then frank castle the punisher just sets up and shoots his way in that's how it works really but the storyline with frank is so much more interesting because to call him morally gray would be a mistake because he has his own moral code that is not especially moral which is no. basically anyone that's harming innocent people must die that's vacillating between siding with daredevil and siding with wilson fisk who's in prison it's a bit like stick in the first series again he's got a moral compass it's all over the place but he's got yeah. one here is the mission and he will do anything to carry out the mission you know there are no shades of gray for him you know if i see a criminal i will kill that criminal and that's basically how he works there's no morality about it he's not thinking well you know maybe if i let that criminal go you know he'll lead me to somebody else and you know maybe i can get somebody higher up the food chain no he'll kill anyone he won't even think about it i think it's so good because it does give you that comparison between him and daredevil because daredevil because of its catholicism i suppose he does believe in redemption he does believe that you know if i send somebody to prison they might see the error of their ways they might come out and be better people the punisher's not having that at all and there is the very interesting conflict that at least initially he doesn't realize He's encountering Matt Murdock in two capacities because he's encountering Daredevil on the streets. But also, Matt and Foggy represent him when the law finally catch up with him. And it's that fantastic scene where, I mean, John Berntal totally nails the Punisher in a way that yeah. nobody who's ever tried to play in the past has done. And there's that fantastic scene where in court they try to ascribe what he's doing, the post-traumatic stress disorder, and he loses his temper outright and says, it's not that. He doesn't want it excused. He does what he does, and he's not going to make excuses for it. And that apparently won him a Veterans Association Award, which they give out for, I don't know if you say sympathetic betrayals of veterans, but realistic, you know, showing their life as it is. And they gave him the award for that. And I think that really, really, that says a lot about his performance and the quality of Series 2, despite the hand as a whole. There's other things in Series 2, like there's an appearance by Jerry Hogarth and Jessica Jones. The Dogs of Hell also appear in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. They're in at least one episode with Lorelei. There are references to series one of Luke Cage which although it hadn't come out at that point was supposedly happening concurrently to this and I think doesn't Claire turn up with an injury that she got in Luke Cage the entire series now the production team claimed they went darker because people appreciated how dark series one was I actually find it a bit lighter to be honest with you yeah there's some grisly set pieces like when they break into the hands let's just say factory but it didn't feel as shocking as hard-hitting and in fact I found it more exciting in the sense 
sense that, you know, at the climax of it, Matt is fighting with one of the hand who is, you know, we don't know it at this point, but is an immortal ninja. And you know that the Punisher is going to turn up and intervene and save him. But they drag it out so long that you're actually sitting there thinking, come on, Frank, where are you? That's one of those amusing things, I think, at the end of that. You know, it's not really a spoiler to say that Electra dies because Electra always dies. That's what Electra yes. is. They give him, like, they give Matt about two minutes to mourn her. He's still surrounded by several ninjas, plus the immortal ninja next to him is already beating him up. And you just think, we're just going to let him mourn the Black Sky for a little while, and then, then we'll start in on him again. And then that's when Frank arrives, you know, and you're just like, oh, come on, mate. Well, that's, we haven't even touched on Electra, really, who is the other main plot in this. For anyone who doesn't know, you find out more about her background later on, but essentially, she's Matt's college girlfriend, who has her own kind of vigilante path, and her own abilities, and he goes kind of, when she reappears, he goes off the rails slightly, and is more interested, really, in having sex with her and then having fights with people that aren't quite morally justified, and he is with the, what he would consider the pure daredevil path. And obviously, I mean, that coincides very neatly with the Punisher taking centre stage, but that was an interesting decision, really, to have him deviate from what the audience were used to from the first series. Yeah, I think so. I think there's part of the beauty as well of the Netflix experience. Sorry, I sound like a, a work for Netflix. I don't. This sort of long form stuff where characters are allowed to develop and you don't have to have recaps at the beginning of shows because you've just watched the la- end of the last episode anyway. Because you've spent quite a long time with these characters. When you do make choices like you really do get a sense of, of I know this person. Why is this person doing this? I think it's just really clever. Right, well, in between Series 2 and Series 3, we did get Daredevil in The Defenders, which we'll be coming back to in a later episode. But it directly leads into Series 3 of Daredevil, where the others actually, I think, think he's dead at the end of The Defenders. And he's not. He's recuperating in a church, looked after by what he doesn't know at that stage is his mother. And it's based loosely on the Daredevil Born Again comics, which I think were from the mid 80s where it took a very kind of quasi-religious view of his, well, life and pursuit, basically. And it is considered one of the best Marvel series ever. I think it was well-served in Series 3, because I think, again, I think Series 2 is still brilliant, but it dips slightly. But Series 3, I think, really maintains that quality of Series 1. It pulls it back, but I think part of that is the fact that Kingpin is back. The series benefits from having this absolute stunning nemesis. There's a lovely parallel between Matt Murdock trying to build himself back up again after his tremendous injuries what have you and Wilson Fisk building himself back up again well there absolutely is and one thing I found out reading up about it was they intentionally based the structure series 3 on the wire where they wanted to have the main story happens in between everyone else's stories everyone else gets their own arc that just happens to have something that coincides in the middle of all of them I think that's what really makes it because it's not just about Matt Murdock series 3 it's about everyone I mean, there's some stunning episodes where Karen delves into her past and some things she has to face up to. Even Bullseye, who, or as they call him here, Agent Poindexter, who is quite changed from his comic incarnation, but even he's got a kind of story arc about his descent into madness, which is why he's becoming this really, really violent enforcer for Wilson Fisk. And I think that really is its strength, is that it isn't just about the main story about will Wilson Fisk get released and come back to power, everyone else's lives are running around that the structure of it is great in series 3 definitely a, a proper return to form but again there he is with his black suit again don't like that red suit do they <laughs> well there's a very 
interesting parallel that comes in. I mean, I mentioned earlier that their plans for Kingpin predated Trump. But there are aspects of this where without breaking the character or making it into a direct parody of Trump, they reference him in Wilson Fisk's attempt to regain the trust of the public. In particular, there's a press conference where he starts railing literally about the fake news media <laughs> and how they've betrayed him before firing yeah. out an actual lie about Matt Murdock being responsible for some atrocities that he's actually got bullseye doing in a fake knockoff Daredevil costume. And then immediately after that, he tries to get back a painting that Vanessa had given him that is now with the family of a Holocaust victim. That's right. Who basically berates him and says, you think you're not a Nazi, but you're doing what the Nazis did, trying to take this painting from me by force. And that pulls him up sharp, and he immediately stops pursuing the painting. I felt they handled that really well. They could so easily gone over the top, like everything else does, and, you know, just done the straightforward Trump allegory. They could even have had him, you know, have a stupid Blumongi wig on his head to <laughs> really hammer home the point but now they just put what he's doing in the hands of somebody more intelligent charismatic and I think that really really works I think that's true it's funny I remember when Trump was running for president and, and then when he actually you know, he, was, he was elected and people were pointing back at the Superman comics of around 2000 when Lex Luthor became president and they were pointing back and it was just like when Lex Luthor became president and you think no Lex Luthor was a really good president <laughs> Trump's got a, a certain rat-like cunning, but he's not clever. He's not a clever man. Fisk is certainly cunning, but he's clever. There's a weight behind, well, literally, but there's a weight behind Fisk that your man Trump doesn't really have. There are lighter moments in this show. This foggy story arc is basically, I mean, he has his fair share of hairy moments in it, particularly when his family get threatened. But mm. he's decided to run for DA. That does lead to some unintentionally comic scene. Well, unintentionally on his part, comic scene. I seem to remember he was an assistant DA at one point in the comics, so it's not yes. you know it's not without it's not without precedent. Yeah, but it does sound ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure you do a very good job. And that, unfortunately, is where Daredevil ended, because it's still quite murky, but all the series got cancelled pretty much at once. And it appears to be because they've now brought under the Disney Plus deal the TV spin-offs under the umbrella of the films. And now there are people now trying to play down the Netflix and ABC series and the Hulu series, which I'm not having. No. They are mostly good series, and they are part of the continuity. And woe betide anyone says to me that need to reboot any of them even Iron Fist but <laughs> would you like to see Charlie Cox continue as Daredevil in some capacity yeah I mean I I, I think so there have been obviously there have been some uh, rumours knocking around the internet over the past uh, over the past few months about him showing up in a Marvel movie anything which sort of states these things happened these shows that you watched and you enjoyed and you shelled out for I joined Netflix because of these series I think we'd just be really happy to see <laughs> Okay, well, Gary, if you had all of your senses heightened apart from your sight and incredible fighting skills, what would you use them for? At the moment, I'd probably be able to use them in Tesco. <laughs> I know exactly which Tesco you're referring to. Well. It's really handy to know who's, turn who's coming round the corner and who isn't using the one waste. <laughs> Gary, thank you, and Excelsior. Enough said. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.